Hello and welcome to Why'd You Buy That? Today we start off talking about doom scrolling and The Social Dilemma, a new show on Netflix. Then we chat with Lexi Cross, the co-founder of Shoes Of, an Instagram account that follows New Yorkers through the streets and what shoes they have on. Then we finish up with a fun round of Why'd You Buy That? And you can learn all about my latest cereal eating habits and other fun purchases. Stick around. Welcome to this episode of Why'd You Buy That? I'm Drew Adams. I'm here with Dan C. Toller and Jessica Steele. So guys, I was on Facebook, you know, the other day and was scrolling and there's like <laughs> news about the coronavirus. Then there's Donald Trump says something. And then maybe it was like, you know, he decided he's not going to come to the second debate. Then there's some other thing about the, you know, the markets and kids not being able to go back to school and the economy is going. I'm just scrolling. I'm like, what's next? Like, what is next in this (laughs) in this feed? I could feel myself just like, I don't know what I was looking for. Like the next thing, the terrible thing that I needed to sort of ingest <laughs> into my head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a word for it, right? Is doom scrolling. Have you heard this word, this term? Mm-hmm. Doom scrolling. And uh, it's in Wikipedia. Dan, have you heard of it? I haven't heard that before. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Doom is, scrolling. That, is that like new to 2020? It's like a new phenomenon or has that been around? I think I heard it as it might be like the word of the year. But yeah, this this year for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently quarantini is another potential word of the year. Have you heard this? Mm -mm. It's like a mashup of quarantine and martini. I haven't. Oh, oh, quarantini. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, drinking at home. (laughs) Have you had a uh, quarantini, Jess? I've I've had a lot of quarantinis (laughs) since March. I've had it's a good. corn rum and coke. I don't know. <laughs> I think they all count. It's like a <laughs> pandemic drinking is like mixing up another quarantini tonight. <laughs> okay, they all count. Okay, yeah. I've had it too. Yep. <laughs> Dad, Dad is quarantini free though. Just, just drinking my water. That's, That's it. Good for you. <laughs> Chalk one up for the Mormons. We just go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> gonna, they, you guys are going to be fine. You guys are going to be just fine. Yeah. We're all going to be. I'm worse for the wear. I'm going to come to the next like, podcast. What I, where, where is everybody? Like, what happened? Like, oh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Coffee in one hand, alcohol in the other. <laughs> doom scrolling, doom scrolling. Oh my God. So anyway, Wikipedia has doom scrolling as the act of consuming an endless procession of negative online news. So that's the definition. So anyway, we're here to sort of talk about The Social Dilemma, which is the documentary on Netflix talking about the impact social media is having on our lives. It's more or less a warning a warning story. I mean, is about its potential negative impacts and how we're becoming more isolated and everything. So we thought it would be a good topic of conversation to sort of talk about that. And especially as it pertains to our purchases and has social media affected our purchases and and so on and so forth. So we've all watched it. What were the parts of the documentary that stuck with you the most? Whoever wants to go first, just grab it. I think the whole thing really, it's stuff that you kind of know, but to hear it condensed into an hour and a half, it did really feel troubling to watch, I'll say. But the part that really kind of hurt was the youngest girl 
aside from kind of the interviews that they have with people who have worked at, you know, the Facebook and all these places, there's kind of that fictional family that they're showing as well. And the young girl who really like her self-image was so affected. And when they kind of talk about, you know, that middle school age where like when I was in middle school, there was no Instagram or Facebook. So sure, there were like the magazines and movies that you kind of as girls compared your image to. But the girls you saw day to day looked normal, I think, you know, and so there was kind of a, a grounding reality about like, there's what the media tells you you're supposed to look like, but then there's all the girls in class and like, those are real people. But these filters and posting an image of yourself and then waiting for it to get likes just seems so easy to damage young girls. I mean, and boys it, across the spectrum, but just, I feel like that really just stuck with me and feels like it would be very hard to navigate, you know, at that age. Yeah, this was the one where she had her ears or whatever, and she had like so many likes, but then one person said something negative about her ears, and you could sort of see her face become crestfallen, and then she sort of covered her ears with her hair. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, it's hard enough when you're getting comments, you know, through the grapevine or something at school, but just I, I can't imagine being like 13 and having internet trolls like pick apart your appearance and just... It's, it would be tough. It would be really hard thing to understand at that, you know, as you're kind of developing your sense of self and your self-esteem and scary to think about. I'm a proponent for waiting until high school for your first phone. And so that's the policy that we had in effect for my now 15 year old who is who is in high school. But it was for those very reasons, because you're not quite sure where the social channels are going to take things. But I must say, I mean, schools and clubs and just parents in general, just this sort of societal position that parents have is they want to reach, be able to reach their child at any time, which my personal, I think that's part of the problem. Like really, you really need to reach your child at any time, like, <laughs> you know, because you need to sort of foster a feeling of independence, you know, so they can, they can stay after school with a group and not necessarily be in touch with you exactly knowing exactly where they are. I mean, you know where they are, but you, do you need to know every second, right? You know what I mean? But not having a phone at that age and that middle school age was hard because a lot of what was going on, both school, socially, of course, and in clubs was on the phone. And they were just sort of saying, well, it's here. Let's adopt it. Let's use it. This is the way we communicate now. You know, nobody calls on the home phone anymore to tell you anything that's going on. But at the same time, it opens up this whole Pandora's box of social media. Dan, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it felt to me along those lines, early on in the show, I was thinking to myself, what is the dilemma? And I've kind of had the naive thought that's like, yeah, I know there's all these negative things about social media. I don't use social media much myself, and I'm just not going to let my kids use it until they're pretty old and mature enough for that. But I, I feel like there are a few aspects about social media that create this dilemma. And one of them, like you're saying, Drew, is... The reliance that we have on our phones and on technology and social media to communicate, to organize, which is really powerful and, and good and helpful, but you can't disassociate that from what's driving these social media companies, which is advertising and making money and keeping users on their platform as long as possible. One of the quotes in the, in the show was, there are only two industries that call its customers users, illegal drugs and software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember and that. Like, you know, being a software engineer and, and having an app on the marketplace, I had never really thought about that distinction before. 
But another comment, just to give some context around that quote, was he said, social media is not a tool like a bicycle. It's asking something from you, right? They're trying to get something out of you, which is your time and your attention, which is different than other software tools like Weekly. We're not trying to get your time and attention. We're trying to be a tool, right? We're trying to facilitate and provide you the function to make your life better. Whereas, you know, with social media companies, they're really engineered and designed to just take up as much of your time as possible. And so I think there is that kind of dilemma, right? Like you can't just cut it off or you can't say, you know, we don't use that or we don't use technology, but figuring out the right approach to when you let your kids use it, how much you use it yourself is I think a challenge. One of the pieces that stuck with me was that (laughs) there was the guy who was trying to get up the courage to approach the girl who he liked. And then, and she was, it seemed like they were saying that he was making some emotions like, you know, she would be interested if he would make an overture. Do you remember this? And then they had those three characters that were running the machine in the background. <laughs> the guy was funny. I think he's from Mad Men, right? He was a Mad yeah. Men. Yeah, Pete um, from Mad Men. <laughs> and he was like, guy is like, he's, he's away from his phone right now. You know, let's, it's time to send him a, ping about the calendar. We need to get his attention again. And sort of using the ability to send notifications to distract people from doing things in their lives that they want to do, but it's kind of easier to stay locked into the phone. You know, I thought that was kind of, uh, I can see that happening, you know, but we know, we know we need to be like, as we're making an app, like we need to be honest with our ourselves, right? Like in terms of we have used social media to advertise our app. We have targeted people on Facebook based off of, you know, do they look like other people who have used our platform? And it's such an efficient way of finding people who might be interested in your product. So if we were building a product from scratch and say we had to advertise blank, we had to advertise over the media that was less targeted, radio, television, you wouldn't be able to have a startup. Like you would need so much capital to be able to reach those people, to blanket, to find the smaller niche of people that you were interested in, that social media advertising makes efficiency is more possible and allows for niche products to be seen and found and loved. And I guess that's a positive side of social media advertising, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think with all of this, there's so many positives and also like we can't stop the wheels of change, but it it's almost just like being much more conscious about it, about our use, about how kids may be using it, about how, you know, we're kind of ingesting, you know, these ads or these. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's so much that have yet we've been introduced to tools that have truly bettered our lives or, you know, reconnected with people or found new communities that are halfway across the world that like we never would have had the chance to, you know, find our people. And there they all are, like all of your, you know, little pockets of like fans of one specific thing and they can all get together and talk like there, there are like a lot of, I think, really positive social factors but yeah there's that dilemma too (laughs) yeah and you know another scary thing was the rise in suicide rates among younger children yeah Yeah. so i think we should start a political party we'll start a party and here's one of the (laughs) platforms let's say you have to get a driver's license to own your smartphone we'll call it a smartphone (laughs) license I like, gotta, I like it. You, like, yeah. you got six idea. months and you got to take a course and you got to get your license and you got to apply and then you can get a smartphone age 16. Who's with yeah. me? I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <Definitely>. yeah. <laughs> well, it is like 
the show did a great job. I think like we were talking about with the family and the different dynamics of the family. And there's the one part where the mom is like, okay, we're putting our phones away. We're going to eat dinner without our phones and it's going to be so much better. So she gets everyone's phones kind of begrudgingly. And then they sit down and there's, you know, no conversation. And so they're, they're kind of out of the habit of, of having a conversation and I, I think there's just like a lot of dynamics that were really well portrayed in that. But I feel like one of the messages was how important it is for parents to be aware of their own uses, for adults to be aware of how much they're using social media and for what purpose, and then also to be really engaged with their kids to understand their usage and what their limits are and talking through what they're seeing. I think that's just a critical piece, like the involvement of parents. It's kind of like the the TV on steroids, right? When the TV comes out, it's like you just sit your kids down in front of the TV and then it's like a built-in babysitter. But this has a much more dynamic, invasive, and potentially destructive outcome that's got to be managed more carefully. Yes, but there's pro- problems with the way it's set up now because like, and I'll turn to YouTube, right? Especially with online classes, people are turning to YouTube more and more as instructional videos for kids, right? Just go to YouTube and learn whatever sentence structure. Go to YouTube, watch this video and learn this math expression. And people are using, teachers are using YouTube to teach their kids. But you can't just use YouTube like and shut it off with one video. It, the next video comes in line and the kid's familiar with YouTube and then they get, they watch something else that they're interested in. Maybe it's a cartoon and that leads to something else. And that leads to something else. Now there's just advertising and there's people, all kinds of content creators creating things that are geared towards kids on YouTube. And some of them are great. And some of them are a little edgy and some of them are really meant for teenagers. And then, but they're interesting to kids. And so they click in and they start hearing things and seeing things. And you know, YouTube is a rabbit hole. They can get, I can go off the rails quickly, but there is a YouTube for kids, but that's not where some of this content that's being served to kids is being hosted. So for, for school is what I'm saying. And really like what an, what an enormous responsibility on parents, you know, it's not the same as like when my parents, you know, they would watch a couple episodes of a show with me to see what it was all about. And then, you know, we could watch that show or something, or, you know, they would check in on, on things like that, or take a look through the books or magazines that we were bringing home, you know, but now it's like, it's not like you could have pre-screened the entire internet for your children. Who has that time? So it's like now this other huge beast that is dropped in the laps of parents to try to navigate. Yeah. Cause you, you used to be like Saturday morning cartoons. You could get in that everything is there's FCC rules. You can only have this type of content during those hours as they know that's when kids are watching and everything else that had curse words in it was, or whatever more mature content was. And we had to wait till nine o'clock where they knew kids were in bed, but the guardrails on that have completely come off and kids are waking up watching Netflix or YouTube or something that they don't even know how to find PBS. They, you know what I mean? <laughs> as far as, or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting how our, our social norms have changed to where having a phone is like access to the Saturday morning cartoons as your example, but on steroids and at any time. I was just listening to a podcast the other day from this guy. I don't know if you've heard of Colin Karchner. He just died, but he was he was an advocate for keeping kids off of social media. And he had a podcast and he was talking to this girl about pornography and how she was exposed to pornography and then got a smartphone and could look at it anytime 
without her parents knowing because, you know, they just thought she's a good kid and shouldn't be a problem. And, you know, she has her phone all the time. And so over time that turned into an addiction and led to not doing her schoolwork and staying up really late and and just always looking at pornography. And so I think, again, like we have to realize how much impact it can have to have a smartphone and be able to carry it with you at all hours of the day or night and having more control with our kids and not just handing that over. So this discussion reminds me a little bit about the way I feel about plastics in our lives, because up to now, the responsibility for plastic waste has kind of been thrown onto the consumer. It's like if you buy things in plastic, throw it in the recycling bin and recycle it. That's that's your responsibility. Let's set aside for a second if actually recycling plastic is efficient, (laughs) right? Or if it's actually like how much it actually reduces the CO2. I think it does, but I'm just saying it's not as efficient as we might think. I don't know that for sure. I'm just throwing it out there. But anyway, the point is, is that the impetus for taking care of the plastics problem in the world has been thrown onto the consumer. But I think things are changing. Like we need to demand of the corporations that are providing these staples that that we need to run our lives that they don't give it to us in plastic in the first place. Like they come up with a more sustainable way of delivering the products to us because it's impossible if you have a family and you go to the grocery store to buy things like to not buy things that are in plastic containers or plastic packaging. So the impetus needs to be put onto the corporations to come up with something better because the plastic is going into the ocean. The plastic is overwhelming us. The plastic is destroying the, you know, is damaging the environment. In a similar way, I feel similarly about social media companies. It's like, hey, here's YouTube. It's great. It has a lot of, of videos for your kids. It's your job right now to make sure that they don't watch something that's not good. But yet we have the recommendation engine. It's you know, it's a, it's a self, there's a lot of self-policing that you have to do. If you're not, if you disagree with the video, you got to watch it, you got to submit it and say, Hey, this video has questionable content and you're, you're counting on all these people from all around the world to sort of do that. And it's like, no, like it's too much. And at some point the social media companies have to, we have to be given the option to be able to help control it because it's just a, it's a, it's a tsunami of content. (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting analogy. And I think, I mean, with how big these tech giants are and how good their engineers are, definitely feels like they could do a lot more to give users the ability to control the content they see. And also if there's a a minor to know that and to further restrict content. So I think there's a lot more that could be improved. So let's talk about advertising and buying things. Have you guys ever been advertised to where you kind of you're like, hey, they, they knew something about me. They got that kind of on the nose. You know, he's like, you, you guys, <laughs> am I really that old? You know, and I, <laughs> so have you, have you been advertised to like that and been like, yep, they know me. They got me. I'm going to buy this thing. I have kind of one where I led them astray. I feel like a couple years ago for work, I work at a jewelry company and we were looking for, this display in our showroom that was going to be kind of these mannequin hands that we were going to attach to the wall and then cover in vintage gloves and put like rings and bracelets on them. So for a couple of weeks, I was heavily searching like mannequin hands, hand display, gloves, you know, all of these things related to hands. And that trailed me for months. I mean, I was getting all of these ads (laughs) and like... 
across the board, it, it was like I was some weird hand fetish person. Like I could not get out of the cycle of it. It's like, no, I already found those mannequin hands. I don't want more. I'm not co- a collector. Um, it was like, oh, I should have been searching that in like a private Google tab because I, I didn't need more of those. But yeah, it was really funny. And I just, we kept laughing about it at work. Like, well, they've targeted me now. <laughs> Pick up the latest mannequin hands. Yeah. <laughs> On sale. I know. I'm like, they probably don't have that many customers. It's like a dying, a dying industry of yeah. mannequins. So they were like, we got a live one. <laughs> Let's go after her. <laughs> Did you start seeing like mannequin bodies too? And like, yeah, it was like feet and hand stuff. And it was like, I, like, I don't need that. <laughs> that is so, see, that's like kind of gets out how I feel about this. Like, it was interesting to see some of the things they talked about in the video about how targeted Facebook can be, which is definitely true. But I feel like at the same time, they only have so much information. And it's like, either you're interested in a product or you're not. And so the the things that have definitely, I, I think, have had more of an impact on me is when I'm searching for a specific product and thinking about buying that product. And I'm seeing ads for that product until like I eventually buy it. You know, yeah. like I've already been to this particular site and that site is targeting me. And, and that maybe I'd be on social media or just on other ads like on my computer, right? Can you give a specific example? Well, yeah, like, like I was looking at, I think it's called Harry's. It's been a couple of years, but Harry's, uh, razors. It's like kind of a new approach to like razors for men. And so I was interested in that for a while. And it was one of those things where it was like the ads kept showing up and I was thinking about it for a long time, like six weeks or two months or something. Not that it was like a big purchase or anything. I just like wasn't really sure if I wanted to use that because I usually use an electric razor, which I still do. And I eventually didn't didn't buy anything from them. But, you know, I think that is effective. It's like in your mind, you're thinking about it for a long time. And maybe if, you know, you're in the right kind of mood or you eventually feel like, yeah, let's give it a try, then you buy it. Remarketing. Remarketing Mm -hmm. works. Yeah. I was trying to have better posture. I'm tall and here you go we're sitting up a little bit here and um <laughs> whenever you mention I'm, posture it's just like everyone's like, like hey, hey, hey ho like, hey, yeah, hey, hey now quick. Judge <laughs> you. but i've been hunched over forever and so i can sometimes you'll see a picture of yourself and you're kind of hunched over and so <laughs> that's the worst well, i gotta i gotta i gotta fix that that's terrible in my defense the world is kind of made for you know not six foot six people am, am yes. i right for sure. <laughs> Have you ever sat in the airplane and been six foot six? Let me tell you, it's not good. No, anyway. So I'm like, I got this um, product where you can put on the back of your neck. And if you start to hunch over, it'll it'll vibrate. And it'll give you a little pulse. I'm like, oh, I'm hunching over, right? And I think it's called upright. It's like, oh. So, uh, and it's amazing how effective. much you're like, yeah, you're like you're looking down. Every time you look at your phone, like, oh, okay. So you're holding the phone up here so you can see yeah. it. This is how you're supposed to read your phone, right? Like yeah, up here. Yeah, yeah, Like nobody does. You're always down like this. Bzz, yeah. oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Let me get by. Bzz, okay. You know, it's like constantly <laughs> vibrating all day long. I'm picturing it like a an electric shock a little yeah. bit. The way that you're doing that buzz. <laughs> I know. It yeah, I'm doing that on purpose. Every yeah, time. Like, okay. <laughs> I can't take it no more. <laughs> Sorry, you've already agreed to the program. Okay. Can't take it off. Can't take it off. That was actually the weak part of the product is that the glue that kept it sort of on your spine right here would not stick. And so it would sort of peel off and fall down. And, of course, that's really awkward. 
So anyway, <laughs> the point out is, of your shirt. yeah, you falls like out of your shirt. shirt. You're like, guys, like, oh, uh... it was annoying anyway. So let's, I guess I'll just keep it off. Anyway, so in that cycle, I was looking for posture products, and that's eventually I got this thing that's like the strap, like you can strap your around your shoulders, and it has this thing you pull it, and it pulls your shoulders back, and you get this nice posture effect, and your muscle memory can learn the proper form, and you magically stand up all the time, and so it just kept seeing it, and kept seeing it, and kept seeing it, and I eventually I bought it, you know. Yeah, and how was it? You know, it's okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. If I'm feeling really industrious, I'll put it on. And then, then you're that, suiting up for work to sit at the <laughs> laptop. Here we go. Yep. Put it okay, on. Let's go. Read I my picture phone. someone like strapping you into your chair. <laughs> like your back is like <laughs> Velcro into it. <laughs> it's hard to change your posture. So any other thoughts on social media? Has your social media usage increased? Or decreased during this pandemic time. Mine's definitely increased. Increased, for sure. Yeah, me too, actually. Not significantly. I don't really use... I would say I don't really use social media. I have a few accounts. But, I mean, it's just like... There's a lot going on in the world today. And so... You're doom scrolling. (laughs) Are you doom scrolling, Dan? Are you doom scrolling? I I don't think I'm a doom scroller. (laughs) I'm I'm not really one to just like scroll. But I I do feel like I have a civic duty to be more informed than I was before 2020. Like there's just a lot going on, you know? And I think that, I think that's a, that's one benefit of the turmoil that we have is, is just kind of people like me who before on a lot of fronts were, you know, didn't put a lot of thought into different issues. And, you know, in the last year I've felt like I got to change that. There's a lot going on and I've got to, you know, kind of get a sense on how I feel about it and and learn about the issues. And so that has led to some increased social media usage. Wait until you get your first Facebook fight. It is the worst feeling. Like you (laughs) are fighting with someone in front of everybody you've ever met in the world. Oh, it's horrible. (laughs) Well, I I don't think I've posted anything on social media for a long time. Years, probably. I just don't say anything. Like I can't. Uh, it's. I think you said to me once, Drew, about social media. Like there are so few things in life that I want to say the exact same way to everyone I've ever met. Yeah, you know, it's yes. just like, and it's kind of a we- weird way that the platform works. It's like everybody and anybody. I may have not seen you for ten years and only kind of known you a little bit before that anyway, or I might know you as a really close friend and like, here's my thoughts. And that to me, like yeah. that seems crazy, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it is. So it is. that's why I don't really post, but I'm curious, do, do the two of you post on social, on your personal social media accounts very often? So let's see. The steel maiden. Steelmaiden.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I have a blog and Instagram that is, that I'm posting on regularly. And it's kind of funny because I actually don't use Facebook at all. Like, and that would be, I guess, kind of like more personal one. And I don't have an Instagram outside of the blog one. So it's like, I do post on that very often, but it's certainly like a filtered version. It's not the same personal photo that I would share with like my sister or, you know, it's like a a curated, I'll say, look into my life. And I have control over that. And I think I have built a community of kind of, you know, the my followers there are 
I'll say like-minded. So it, it feels like a generally like a positive place where I'm just kind of sharing like snippets of life in New York and, you know, style travel when we traveled. And then I also have a bookstagram account, which is just an Instagram account, but it's like a community of just readers. So the only people I follow on that account are other like book people. And that is delightful because when I go onto that account, like it's free of the other noise. You know, when I toggle over to that bookstagram, it's just a world of books and it's like such a pleasant place. So I, I would say I kind of have tried to curate what I what I look at outside of, you know, reading time spent reading the news and all of that kind of stuff, which is still like you're on your phone. But the personal kind of opinions and uh, some of that stuff, I do try to just like monitor how much energy I'm giving because it it can be pretty like soul sucking. I think after, after a little while, the stuff that I, you know, kind of just used to see on Facebook, which is why I just kind of took myself out of that conversation. But it's it's a lot of time spent on phone when you add it all up, you know, and I'm also FaceTiming people more often, you know, my niece and nephew who we would probably see a little bit more often than we've been seeing lately. So then I'm, you know, calling them and it all adds up to like just a ton of time looking at this phone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about you, Drew? I entered 2020 with this sort of standpoint that Facebook was the ground war for political campaigns. So it's not the person, maybe somebody says something that you really dis disagree with. And my thing is like global warming is a hoax or whatever. I'm just like, I just can't, it's hard for me to stand idly by and just see that stuff. Right. I feel passionate that we need to direct, we need to face head on the problem of global warming. Okay. So that's my thing. And so when that's something a comes trigger, through, as they say. Yeah, it's, a, it's a trigger. There's other things too, but it comes in and I'm like, it's not, I don't think like if I'm going to convince the person that's posted this, I'm going to convince the person who doesn't really know what to think that is reading this. I, it's the third person who's watching that is important to, for them to know that there's someone out there who thinks that this stuff is, you know, may, maybe that particular example is crap, right? So that's the kind of thing I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to push back on. But then if I get on little other areas and try to push back, it'll start a cascade of other things. And somebody will say something that I'll feel like is insulting. And then it just it ruins your day. You know, it can ruin your day. But at the same time, I feel like there's an obligation to push back on some of that. So other people who feel the similar way will, will speak up and, this whole is is Facebook the ground war for politics, not and not just like the people who are advertising, but the actual ideas that are infusing our minds, right? And getting spread and 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 when they become dominant, they become what people believe, right? So if you were to look at my Facebook feed, it would be like it would be like a weird mix of like random Panthers thoughts on the Carolina football, apparent Carolina Panthers football team. We need to solve. We really need to solve this global warming problem. <laughs> and the pictures of you know from family or random nature. <laughs> so if you said that content, subscribe. Uh, yeah. That is that is really interesting. So has your approach changed over this year in terms of like speaking up? Because I, I could see that argument and I agree. Like if if people talk about something long enough, then that can tend to become the kind of accepted truth, whether or not it's it's accurate. But I can also see like posting stuff like that on Facebook or trying to correct something on Facebook is just like jumping into a bar fight. And it's like, are you really going to make a difference here? Or has your view changed at all? Or are you still 
You're still chasing down those naysayers of global uh-huh. warming. I, I mean, well, chasing them down. I don't really hunt them out. But if, <laughs> if it comes on my feed, then I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll try to reply to it. And the other thing is I try to be friends with people I went to high school with, you know, or whoever. And these are people. I like them. doesn't matter if we don't see eye to eye on everything. So I'll see different things coming through on my on my screen. But it just goes to um, show that it, it's basically... Do I have the energy to deal with the pushback, you know, and do I have energy to reply to everything? And a lot of times, uh, you know, I've got, I got weekly to think about, man, got to right. get this thing going. Yeah. <laughs> I can't uh-huh. give all my energy to Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Make, make it more money for them. But I think that has been a big conversation this year. Like everyone from, I'll say, you know, the blogger influencer sphere, like what is our responsibility if you have a hundred followers or if you have a hundred thousand to, you know, maybe not try to, you know, convert people to your opinion or something, but just kind of like, I've felt more than ever this year, like I wanted to talk about making sure people were registered to vote. And, you know, some of these kind of things like where I, I do have a sphere of influence. So, you know, while people may not have followed me to hear that. So sometimes there's kind of a a level of like discomfort, like, oh, you know, but people follow me because they like to see my shoes. Am I allowed to talk about these other things? Um, you know, or what's my responsibility to do so kind of socially. Um, so I, f- I feel like that's something I've thought a lot about this year and kind of have have changed a little bit. And I feel like I've seen that from a lot of other people too, you know, whether you're a quote unquote influencer or you just have a circle of influence because you have friends or family who may be undecided about certain things or not have, Dan, even kind of like you were saying, like may just not have considered the issues, not because they were decided one way or the other, but it just hadn't really been on their plates before in in a way. And so like it is somewhat of responsibility for someone else who may be tuned in to that issue to share a little bit more about it in the hopes that, you know, it opens up some people's eyes to it. So it's interesting. It's, I don't know, it's an interesting time to kind of be on the internet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> That is an interesting perspective. If you have an audience, then, you know, do you have an obligation to, to share more? Does your audience want to hear more? You know, like, right. so that's got to be a challenging question to ask yourself. Yeah, it reminds me of a um, famous comedian who recently decided that he was going to say something about Trump in a, ne- in a negative way. He was going to say he just Trump's got to go. Right. But at the, until the time before he had done that, he'd been completely agnostic. But he posted that. And of course, he got flagged from probably 50% of his, or maybe 40%, let's be honest, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> only 40% are really agreeing with Trump, but okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, of his followers. You know, but he, it, was a, it was a choice that he made, right? To, he knew that he was going to alienate a significant portion of his base, but he decided to do it anyway. So yeah, I, I assume there's a, there's, a cost, there's a cost to it. They say, you know, there's the NBA ratings are supposedly down this year. And some people are uh, saying it's because of all the social justice messaging that was going on. And it made people, I mean, uncomfortable. Like who? People who? Like white people? Like, I don't know. So, you know, it didn't bother me. But I, that's part of the talk is why is the NBA ratings so so far down? So, yeah, I think you have an interesting decision to make when it comes to what you what you say about. But if you just say register to vote, that can't be wrong. That's always right. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's someone on the internet that that doesn't like it for whatever reason. <laughs> what are you doing? But, Tell the people to vote. Know, How dare yeah. you? Like, come on. I don't know. I think it's that kind of ultimately you get to that place where it's like, if I talk about X issue and people unfollow me for that, did I want them as followers? 
necessarily if it's like a let's say you know a human's rights issue or something that i feel like is like being true to me and being like just a kind of statement for good then it feels like well if if that offends them in some way like maybe it's okay that they left this conversation in some regards it can go the other way too like cancel culture is a huge deal like you if you say something that you mean that someone took the wrong way or maybe you were slightly whatever right? You said something that was a little off color that you didn't like uh, Kevin Hart, right? Kevin Hart was had some jokes when he was earlier that were homophobic or negative, negative towards children may have confused them, you know, I mean, and then he was like, he apologized for it. And then the Oscars came around, they wanted him to host and they asked him to apologize a second time, you know, and he was like, no, I already did, already did that, right? You know, I'm like, what? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember this yeah. story? Yeah, I do. And so it can go both ways. Yeah, I feel like cancel culture is is not productive. I mean, listen, if someone like is outright like, no, I I don't want to change. That's who I want to be. Like, you know, that's how I want to treat women going forward. It's like, okay, then maybe they should be canceled. But for the people who like. I don't know. I think we need to allow room for growth and room for learning and some level of social forgiveness of, again, if there's a statement of like, that was a mistake, that was a misstep, or, you know, I I didn't know what I know now. It's dangerous to just like write people off to me. Especially when everything that you've ever said, if you're in a public sphere, everything that you've ever said, or even even a semi-public sphere, because we're all we're all influencers now because we're all on social media, right? Everything that you've ever said since the time you were 13 years old is like set in stone, right? Or whatever. And if you like anybody finds a, bl- if there's someone who finds a blemish in something that you said in the past, what does it take to be able to, to change and evolve? You know, well, folks, I'm going to, I know one, one takeaway I make is I'm following Dan on Facebook. So the next time that he posts something <laughs> three years from now, I'm going to be there ready for it. <laughs> Just get a post. Hi, Drew. <laughs> It's like the sun is a, what is it? It's a ball of joy giving us <laughs> happiness. What was the phrase That's you right. said? I don't even remember. It was, it was good though. Something. The sun is just this, it's, it's a happy ball of light and heat that <laughs> it just we're keeps doling out around. happiness. It does every day. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's put a bookmark in it there. Coming up next, Jess and I talked to Lexi Cross who is the co-founder of Shoes Of. Very interesting Instagram account where they take real people, pictures of real people's shoes, and they post it online. A lot of fancy shoes, interesting shoes, creative shoes. We talked to her about how she started the account, how she gets these pictures, and the effect that the coronavirus has had on her, on her business and also on her thinking. So stick around for that. This episode is brought to you by Weekly, our app that helps you stick to a budget. It's in the Apple iOS app store. You can also find us at weeklybudgeting.com. We have a completely different take on budgeting. The traditional method is to operate on a month, to put everything into categories and subtract the money out of categories. But this ends in frustration for lots of people because they get halfway through the month. They may have overspent or underspent a category. They're not sure where to grab the money from. Oh, by the way, does this sound familiar? Hey, honey, where's the Target receipt? I'm trying to figure out if that is a household expense or a food expense. It's just a disaster. So then you end up at the end of the month, you're not sure what happened, and you just give up. 
So we've come up with a different way, which is to operate on a weekly basis. We take your recurring income, your recurring expenses, we subtract your expenses from your income, and then we come up with what you can safely spend for a week. Then we keep you in touch with that number, downloading your transactions from the bank so that you can always know what is safe to spend. This alleviates the guilt of spending and lets you spend with more joy. So we hope you give the app a try. Um, you can go to weeklybudgeting.com, click on the icon, go to the app store. You can also search in the app store for weekly budget or weekly budgeting. Right now we're at the top of the organic rankings for that and give it a try. Let us know what you think and welcome to the podcast and welcome to the weekly community. We would like to welcome to the pod, Lexi Cross, the co-founder of Shoes Of an Instagram account that takes beautiful pictures of amazing shoes worn by actual people on the streets of New York, Paris, Milan, and I, I think a couple other places, right? These shoes range from high heels to platform shoes to wild sneakers. Each picture is accompanied by a brief story from the person who's wearing them. With over 50,000 followers, you can see pictures at Shoes Of on Instagram. So thank you, Lexi, for coming to talk with us about something I know next to nothing about, but I am totally fascinated by designer shoes. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So first question, just to orient people, how, how would you describe what Shoes Of is? Well, I like to describe the account more as I would say I'm more of a photojournalist. That's how I like to describe it, as, as opposed to being a, an influencer account. So we stop strangers in the streets of New York, and we ask them about their shoes. We ask for a story, a small anecdote about where they got them, why they got them, where they've been in those shoes, and then post it on Instagram with a photo. And yeah, I mean, we started the account years ago now at this point, five or so years ago, maybe more. And we've expanded to other cities outside of New York as well. So it started started in New York City. So where, where did the idea come from? Oh, can I say it was a drunk idea? Is that <laughs> Yes, <laughs> if that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. with some friends. And I was at a party and I took a picture of my shoes overhead. And I was with a friend and he was wearing a pair of shoes that said New York City on the tongue of the shoe. And I've always been interested in storytelling. I've had different blogs and things. And I don't, it just was like an aha moment of maybe I should document shoes in New York City and tell their stories. And in that moment, I texted a friend of mine and asked if he would be interested in doing it with me. And uh, he wrote me back with the Forrest Gump quote that was, you know, my mom always told me you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. So he was in. And the next week when I was back in New York, I took my camera and we walked around Central Park and we took pictures of shoes, not in the exact aesthetic that it is now, but we just started. That was how it began. So there must have been that first person that you had to ask. I mean, because you don't know these people, right? Like you had to go up and say, excuse me, what? I'd like to take a... You have great shoes. I'd like to take a picture of your shoes. Is that basically it? It always starts with a compliment. I mean, people are far more perceptive and engaging if you compliment them about something. And so, you know, now what we always do is say, wow, excuse me, like, I love your shoes. And then instantly it's like, oh, wow, thank you, you know? And so you kind of have most people with that first compliment. 
that it took a while for us to actually get that first interaction and approach down. The first person that we stopped actually, (laughs) it's kind of funny. He was wearing a pair of Adidas, like old school Adidas. And he was running around playing soccer in Central Park. And it was a, it was an older, older man. And I just figured like he must have some sort of story. And so I got him in a down moment and I asked him, you know, I'm starting this Instagram account. I would love to take a picture of your shoes and get a story. And he was like, I think he said to me, well, you're going to have to catch me first, which was not the best start, I have to say. So here I am trying to get like a good photo of him playing soccer. He was totally not into it. We ended up getting a couple of photos. I don't think we ever used it. So I think we got resilient to the word no from the very beginning, but that was kind of an interesting start. How did you get into shoes? Like, how do you have an eye and say, that's a pair of shoes that we need a photograph of? We're always looking for something with character. So for instance, like, I think we've photographed a a million Converse shoes, but each of them, you know, looks slightly different, whether, you know, you see paint splatter on a pair of shoes and you kind of know that there's got to be something behind that person and that they must have some sort of unique story. So, you know, looking for character, I like to photograph people that have run down shoes, not always like luxury high fashion footwear, because I, I just think that things that have a little bit of dirt and grit have a bit of must have more of a story to them. That's usually the case. So that's kind of what we're looking for individuals with style, of course, you know, it's about the shoes. That's what you usually see. But really, it's about the person wearing the shoes. We like this idea that you, you know, you don't really actually see the full body or the face in most of the photos, because it really speaks to that concept of being in another person's shoes, putting yourself in another person's shoes. And yeah, we really love that. Do you have a personal favorite that you've come across? Yeah. I recently, well, not super recently given COVID, but I stopped this guy. He was wearing a pair. They looked like Crocs to me, but they weren't Crocs. When I stopped him and asked him about, about the shoes, he had actually, he told me a story. He'd actually completely constructed them himself using shoes from the dollar store. So he bought a couple different pairs and he pair of sandals and he used uh, zip ties and he created his own pair of shoes from these shoes from the dollar store. And that was super cool. And they were paint splattered. And I mean, that's, that's an example of something with character. So that was super cool. And kind of talked about the fact that like kids are so obsessed with Nikes and, and sneaker culture now, and they spend all these, all this money on shoes and, and really, you know, you can create something using shoes from the dollar store that like, are you know, is just special. So that stands out as, as one of the more recent stories. Yeah, that's cool. A budding designer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, totally. I think his pants were made of curtains. So yeah, super creative individual. So I was scrolling through the account and I saw like uh, this uh, platform shoes that are kind of, I guess, plaid and they're, they're blue and they're green. And then I was like, well, what is what does that pair of shoes cost, right? And I know that there's a <laughs> a site that's linked from the Instagram where you then link to where if people are, are interested, they can pick up these shoes. And what's really interesting, I guess, about the whole concept is, as opposed to you know just recommending some shoes, you're recommending some shoes that are being worn in public by other people, kind of, right? And say these are interesting and being worn out in the world. But I'm not sure about this particular pair, but I seem to remember the price of like $995 for a shoe like that. So I don't know if I, you correct me if I'm wrong about the price of that particular shoe, but I'm wondering. They're Prada. So yes, I think they're quite expensive. Okay. <laughs> so tell me, what is the the rarest or most expensive shoe that you've come across in your shoe travels? 
I would say luxury footwear is oftentimes the most expensive. So for instance, a Prada pair of Prada shoes, a pair of Alexander Wang shoes, a pair of Celine shoes, those are oftentimes the most expensive. However, we also stop a lot of people wearing sneakers that are exclusive sneakers. So you might, you know, we've photographed a pair of off-whites before that are pretty rare and hard to find. So I, I would say, yeah, as far as expensive, it's luxury footwear or exclusive sneakers. And what we found in the past couple of years is that people are super obsessed with exclusive sneakers. And so that's been a trend. And now you actually see luxury designers creating their own versions of, you know, the Nikes and Adidas Yeezys of the world, tapping into that you know, sneaker culture. As far as unique pairs, I would say, again, it's it's anybody that's like an artist or anybody that's putting their own spin on a pair of shoes, like the guy with the lookalike Crocs that were made from shoes from the dollar store. I actually want to know, you know, I mean, I you started this in New York, but you've certainly traveled a bit to find some of these shoes. And do you think that what you're doing could have been born anywhere else other than New York? Like there's just such a unique street style here that it makes kind of the magic of what you're doing in some ways. You're able to find these these people where you may not in a small town. Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't think it could have existed or that idea been born in any other city than New York. And that's both for the personal style that you see on a daily basis there, but also because of the people. There's not many places where you can walk up to a, a complete stranger on the sidewalk and have them give you the time of day or listen to what you have to say. So, you know, that's New York for you. I mean, people are always interested in, in meeting new people, talking to new people. We went to Paris and photographed shoes. That was the, that was the second, second city that we ever went to. And Parisians were were more engaging than I thought they would be, especially considering that I, I don't know French. But it wasn't the same there as New York City, for sure. So yeah, I don't think it would have been able to be possible if we hadn't started in New York. And now what we've done is expanded to other cities. And we have a couple of photographers that will shoot for us in other cities and might know the language in the city that they're photographing those shoes or understand the culture of people that are in that city. So that's super cool. So I think the best way, yeah, we'll start in New York City and then have that idea then spread its wings into other cities around the world. Do you have particular places that you like to scout out for shoes or like, hey, this this is a good place here. I feel I have a good feeling about the shoes in the city. I mean, you know, like particular areas of the city. Yeah, Soho. We spent a lot of time in Soho uh, on Bleak, see Bleecker and Lafayette, or I think it was Spring and Lafayette. Soho is cool because you get like all types of people there. You get tourists that are coming in with super sick pairs of shoes that are from like Japan or like places that you, you know, shoes you wouldn't actually find in New York city, but you also have kind of that like downtown cool New Yorker who has their individual style, maybe coming from the lower East side. Um, so I, Soho is probably my favorite place to, to photograph shoes for sure. But if we wanted luxury footwear, we would, we used to go to meatpacking and we like troll the streets of meatpacking and looking for luxury designer shoes we would go to Brooklyn if we wanted a little bit of grit, Williamsburg or Greenpoint. We always seem to get like cooler stories in like downtown Manhattan or Brooklyn. And then I think as you go a little bit more uptown, there's less storytelling. I don't know why that is <laughs> I hate to generalize the people there, but I think maybe I think people that buy more expensive shoes sometimes have less of a story. They just spend their money on the, on the material item versus somebody who might spend a little bit less on a pair of shoes. 
but there's like a little bit more character there. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where we would walk around. You're having kind of these unexpectedly personal sometimes discussions with people, you know, like there, there can be a really, like it can strike a really personal chord. Maybe they saved up for, you know, it was their, with their first jobs money or something to buy this pair of shoes and they mean a lot to them. Have you guys ever, like, has a friendship been sparked with any of these people? Have you seen them again? Have, you know, has it led to like hanging out? Yeah, many times, actually. You never know who you're going to meet in New York. It's super cool. So I remember we stopped this guy one time and he had a a super cool pair of off-white shoes on. And, you know, we got his story and I just had a really nice interaction. Like he wasn't having a very good day. I think that there was like really positive energy with our conversation. And, And so I think that kind of brightened his day, brightened our day for sure. And then we, Houston, my business partner and I, we were at a dinner a couple weeks later and we were talking about our account to somebody we were sitting next to. And there was a girl at our table. It was like a networking dinner and there was a girl at our table and she was like, wait a second, you guys have this account shoes of like, you guys just stopped my brother in the street like a few weeks ago. And he was telling me all about it. And he was obsessed with your account and all this stuff. She was like, it's crazy. I'm super excited to be meeting you guys. And from that point on, not only was it, was she, Lisa is her name, like an amazing business connection, but kind of became a friend and her brother as well, who we had stopped in the street. And that was like a, a very coincidental situation, but also it's kind of what you get when you're interacting with people in the streets of New York, it's a small world and you're stopping stylish people. That was amazing. And we always have interactions like that. And that's like probably my, one of my favorite things about what we do is just connecting with people. I have one more question just about the mechanics of getting the pictures as I think that's interesting. Do you stay in one place and like let people go by you and then you like find somebody or are you constantly like walking around looking at people as they're walking by you or how, how exactly do you do that? It depends. Depends on my state of mind. I don't know. <laughs> if I'm hungover, we'll sit at like a table or something and like order coffee and just walk by and then help them uh, when they walk by. No, we usually, we usually we're walking around. I mean, I think like we try and refrain from looking like the people who are stuck, like standing there with signs waiting to like stop people and talk to them like about, you know, a discount on a haircut or whatever it may be. <laughs> we try and have a, a bit of energy. So I think walking around, you know, like walking through a crosswalk, you see somebody turn, you're like, oh my gosh, excuse me. Like, I love your shoes. You know, there's a bit more energy when you're actually moving forward. So yeah, that's, that's usually how we approach it. Plus it's just like, it's fun to walk around. Like, I feel like I got to know New York city because we walked around looking for shoes, but inevitably like came, became familiar with different stores, different coffee shops. Like we became friends with security guards outside of opening ceremony. You know, like there's, I think that movement is, is actually pretty core to what we do. Will you take several pictures in a day or do you just wait? You just get one picture. You're like, I'm good. I'm I'm done. I found what I needed. Yeah, we we will go out for a couple hours usually. And, you know, it, it kind of depends. We love fashion week because we get a lot of shoes very quickly. Bang for a buck. Yeah. Yeah. But but no, I mean, it just really depends. Like some days there's kind of nothing. Other days there's a lot. But yeah, we'll usually go out every week or every couple weeks to take photos, see what we get in a couple hours. 
I was going to say, so some of this has led, you know, I know just kind of from following you guys to working with brands on attending events or, you know, different collaborations. What are some of the ones that really stand out to you, either a a crazy fun event or um, just a really cool collaboration that kind of was born out of this? We did an event with Barney's, uh, which was super fun. We recreated a city, a New York City landscape, and we took Polaroids of people who attended the event of their shoes. And that was really fun. We kept one for ourselves, and then we'd take another one and give it to them. So it was sort of a party favor photo of their of their shoes at the event. People loved it. And and that was fun because it was it was a cool way of translating what we do in the streets, but moving it inside into like a, a fashionable house, fashionable space. I saw some pictures of you at a, at a Knicks game. So I, I wanted to ask about that because I'm a basketball fan. Oh, my God. Well, then you would, you would really get along with Houston. I know nothing about basketball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun. Yeah, we did. We did a collaboration with, I think it was Hotel Tonight and the Knicks. And yeah, we got to like go and sit basically courtside at the game and just like experience the Knicks game and um, we had dinner at this like ho- had the dinner at this hotel after and it was, they were I forget the exact name of the shoes but it was Air Force Ones that were like Knicks a Knicks collaboration or Knicks themed Air Force Ones and they were two sizes too big for me but I still wore them like onto the court uh, <laughs> that was cool because it was just very very New York City and we always wanted to do a, a collaboration with with the Knicks or some or the NBA where we we did like kicks at the Knicks game <laughs> that didn't end up happening, but like, we've always wanted to do something like that. Like interview people that are coming to the games about the shoes that they're wearing. Cause oftentimes like there's such a connection between sneakers and people that are like interested in sports and, and NBA culture and stuff. We actually had one other really fun collaboration we did with, Oh my gosh, what was this the shoe company? I can't remember the name of the shoe company right now, which is awful, but we, we went up in, in a helicopter above New York City wearing these pair of shoes that were launching and we got to take photos of our shoes hanging outside the elevator, like over the World Trade Center. That was super fun. Wow. That was, yeah, that was really cool. That was like above New York City as opposed to being on, you know, the concrete ground of New York City. On so the streets. Super fun. Yeah. yeah. So we've done a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, sneakers, like sneakers, like footwear in general translate kind of into like into everything for us. Have you always been involved in the fashion industry? I just say I've always been interested in storytelling. I guess since the time I was a kid, my mom always dressed me up like crazy. I mean, my preschool photo, I'm wearing, I'm decked out in pearls and bows. And so I think from the time I was a kid, I was like pushed into fashion. But mainly I've always been interested in storytelling. So I've always had a blog of some sort. When I first moved to New York, I started this blog that was called New York Called. And, you know, I was interviewing people that have moved to New York City from other places, the New York City transplants. And, and I was just telling their stories about how New York City was a part of their journey and helped them get to where they, where they were. And so storytelling has always been exciting to me, specifically around people. And then I guess I've always managed to figure out a way to intertwine that with fashion, whether that's apparel or, or now footwear. I think one of the things we kind of wanted to talk about was this account in the context of this year. We're all largely at home. We're in our slippers these days. And um, we saw that you started a secondary account called Work From Home Kicks, which is fun at the beginning of the pandemic. Tell us about how you've kind of 
adapted this year? And also what trends you think will kind of be born out of this year? That's a really good question. Because I think right now we're, as many, many, many people are, we're trying to give ourselves the time and space to figure out how we're going to reinvent ourselves moving forward. Because I think with COVID now, people are far more hesitant to be approached by a stranger. You know, we can't be tapping on strangers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like we can't just be tapping on. I hadn't thought about that. I was like, the shoulder of a stranger now, you know, like we would hold the phone up to their mouth so that they could record their answers for us. And it's just not appropriate right now. And it's not like realistic. And so we've really been, you know, we've had, we kind of have a library of content that we have been, we started to post again recently. We just went dark for a couple months because it didn't feel like the time to be pushing stories about shoes, pushing products, like, you know, with the seriousness of everything happening. And so now we've started to post again, but we're not, we're not fully back to how we were. I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, We started work from home kicks because, you know, that was like taking storytelling inside the home as opposed to on the streets. And that was just super fun. It's all user, user generated content. So just following people whose style we love, or maybe people we've, we've stopped in the past. And a lot of people sent us photos and from inside their home. And that was cool because you kind of got to see like, how are people getting creative with their style inside their house? You know, like for, for expressive individuals who really, whose style is super important to them, not, not because they're necessarily even out for people to see, because it's important for, for them personally. Like you got to see how they were able to express themselves in the comfort of their or discomfort of their home. And so, yeah, that was like a cool way to, to do that. But I'm not sure how, how we're not ready to be done. We're just, uh, you know, as, as anybody right now, we're just kind of taking some figure out what is this going to look like moving forward. And I moved to El Salvador recently. It's like, that's a really interesting story. So I think my perspective on things, on shoes, on commercialism, capitalism, sustainability, those are all things that are coming more to the forefront. And and that's having definitely a, an impact on like how I see our, our account moving forward and what we want to stand for. Tell us more about how you took some time, moved to El Salvador. Well, super crazy. You know, like I don't even wear shoes that much anymore. <laughs> I got really interested in surfing in the last couple of years. I actually started an account called like Sneakers and Surf. <laughs> All these random Instagram accounts that I've started with like no followers, nothing near shoes of. But I got really interested in surfing. I came to El Salvador through recommendation of a friend. Doesn't have a very good reputation in the States, but I um, I had a, a friend who loved it here. So I decided to come for a surf trip. Anyway, a few surf trips later, and it was March 11th, and I planned another trip for 10 days. It was like right before things started getting crazy in New York City. I figured I would be fine. It was I didn't think there was much risk of traveling at that particular point in time. Came here, and the day that I landed, they shut the borders to El Salvador, like hours after I landed. I could have still exited the country, but yeah, nobody nobody was let in after that point. So then I was here. And it wasn't until a few weeks later that they shut the airports, but that's then New York started getting crazy. So I was like, shoot, like, I'm not going to go back to New York right now. I'll wait it out here. And now it's been almost eight months and I just went to New York for 10 days and like went through my storage unit, went through all my shoe boxes. I definitely came back with like a suitcase of shoes. So like that was, you know, a must, but yeah, I mean, so now I'm kind of living here and it's been a huge transition for me in terms of my perspective on things. Can you describe that shift of your perspective? 
Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I experienced recently, I live right by the ocean and there's a lot of plastic. So it's been rainy season here. What happens is the plastic people that live in the mountains, they, they drink a lot of Coca-Cola here. All of these, so you see a ton of those empty bottles, but like everything from the mountains comes down the rivers when it's raining and it ends up at the beach. And apart from like Coca-Cola bottles, liter, liter bottles, you see a lot of shoes, a lot, a lot of shoes, like Crocs, not Crocs brand, but like lookalike Crocs and flip-flops and sandals. And I would say outside of plastic bottles, that's what you see the most of it are shoes. And so for me, I'm walking around the beach, looking at all this like plastic shit everywhere. And I'm like thinking to myself, this is crazy. You know, like it's not sustainable to be living in a world where plastic shoes are being, you know, are flowing from the rivers into the ocean. And so I kind of, that to me was like, okay, I, 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 this is making me think about the message that I put out into the world. Like what are the brands that we're promoting? What are they doing for the world? Are they, are they interested in sustainability? Are they not? I think it's a time where we're all asking ourselves these questions and and thinking about these things. So yeah, that was a moment for me where I was like, this is horrible. (laughs) This is awful. That's wild. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that shoes would be a big thing that you would see as kind of a, an ocean trash, but you know, it's interesting because I actually think in, in a lot of ways, like coinciding with your own transition of thought this year more than ever, it does feel like there's a little bit of a reckoning happening in the fashion industry where, you know, it's like, this has not been sustainable for a long time. Like here are the impacts of fast fashion, you know, these kind of department store giants, those models aren't working out so great. Like it it does feel like it's a, a time of a lot of transitions. Um, and hopefully they're, you know, in a positive direction. I don't know. I mean, when it comes to kind of fast fashion, do you have thoughts between like the positives of a democratization, we'll say, of fashion and trends and accessibility for people versus, you know, the negatives of really the effects on the environment? And I think we all just need less stuff than we think we do, you know, and that like that's one of the biggest things I'm learning about here is we don't need as much stuff. Fast fashion plays into people's short term joy, short term happiness, which I mean, I could go really deep here. I don't, I'm trying to look for long-term happiness, long-term joy, right? So these fast fashion companies are feeding people with these messages of like, this is what you need for this season. This is what you need now. Ultimately it's, it's adding to more things in people's lives. So I'm not a fan of fast fashion. I've never really been a fan of fast fashion, but I'm especially not a fan of fast fashion now. I think that it's important to have, like, I'm still a huge proponent of individual style expression. I do love fashion, but I'm more interested in brands that are creating things that will last things of quality, things that are made with integrity. Maybe they're not 100% sustainable, but you know that they're going to be in your closet for a long time. They're going to live through experiences with you. You're not just going to throw them out. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, never, I'm, I'm not interested in fast fashion. I, I don't think it like at the core of what it is, it really does anything that beneficial for anybody. They think people think they're participating in friends. But again, like I said, I think that's just a short term bit of happiness. With that in mind, do you have a couple of shoes that would be like, okay, if you can only wear three pairs of shoes for the rest of your life, you're on an island or, you know, like you're, you're stranded. What, what are you going to put in your suitcase? If it's that narrowed down? Kind of like, I'm going on a surf trip to El Salvador for 10 days. I can only pack three shoes. 
coronavirus happens. And then I literally am living with three shoes for seven months stranded on the beach in El Salvador. <laughs> yeah. So going. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a brand that I, I, I actually work with. I consult for them, but I've, I met the owner through shoes of, it's a brand called Saba. The shoes are all handmade in, in Turkey by a family that's been making shoes for generations. And I have many pairs of those shoes, but they last forever. They only get more interesting as you wear them. The leather breaks in, they become, I don't know, full stories. So I would say that's for sure a brand that, that I would want with me always, specifically the mule style, which is like kind of like a house slipper. But that's, but I think that's an example of a brand that, again, made with integrity, supporting a craft that has been around for a very, very long time. And I, I think, you know, those are shoes that stay with you for a long, for a long time as well. So I would say Saba shoes. I would also say like Nike trainers. I'm a Nike fan and I like what they're doing with their like space hippie collection. I like what they're doing in the world of sustainability. Now I have, I have a pair of sneakers. So like for sure, a pair of sneakers like that for like hiking and things. And then, um, I just discovered this, this like, it's kind of like a Tiva. It's called Chaco, I think, but they make, they make some pretty cool like sandals. I don't know if it, like sandals that I would have made fun of when I was younger and now I'm wearing stuff like that. So while we're talking about brands, we wanted to ask you if you could describe some brands in one word. And part of the entertainment of this particular section will be me mispronouncing all of these brands' names because I have no idea what they, <laughs> what I can't they are. <laughs> Wait, no, Jess, you've got to go. We've got to do a back and forth on this. I can only look like a fool for so long without serious damage to my self-esteem. Okay, so one word, Yeezy. Kanye. Did I get that one right? Kanye's the one word? Yeah. Manolo Blahniks. Sex in the City. Okay. Gucci? Gucci, I would say relevant and inclusive. Relevant and inclusive. Superga. I was going to go with Superga on that one. <laughs> Superga. Um, cool mom shoe. <laughs> cool mom speaker. More than one word. But I like it. Yeah. Christian Louboudin? Lubaudin? Give it to me. What is it? Louboutin? Louboutin. That's what I... I was making sure you knew how to pronounce that. (laughs) I'm sure if you're French, you say it like far more romantically and like chicly. Louboutin. Louboutin. Exactly. Oh, sexy. I mean, those shoes are like all about sex appeal. Honestly, that's like why he made them. So, yeah. Back to Yeezy for a second. Do you like Kanye's line of fashion? No. I'm just not a fan of Kanye West. I don't even really have much to back that up. I just, I, I think he's like ridiculous and some say a creative genius, but I just, I've never been interested in, I've never been interested in Yeezy. Never. Good. I, well, I think that's, I think we've sort of come to the end of it. Is there anything else you, you would like to say? It's so interesting, this, like the coronavirus moment and also the election moment and sort of which direction the world is heading and fashion and the transition that it feels like we're all kind of going through. So anything else you'd like to add before we... No, I no, I mean, it was great chatting with you guys. I, I would just say, like, if you're listening, definitely give us a follow and, you know, work from home kit well. And we'll see how things evolve. I'm not sure. I think one thing I, I feel like a sense of togetherness because I know everybody's kind of struggling with different things and everyone's in a state of change. And so as we 
rest and pause and revisit what we stand for on our Instagram account. I feel, I guess, at peace knowing that other people are, are going through similar things. And I hope that we can come back with a bang. It's, you know, sometime, sometime soon in the near future. But yeah, give us a follow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks yeah, for coming so on the pod. <laughs> really yeah, appreciate so you. Fun. All right. I'll talk to you, talk to you at some point. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Okay, so to close out the pod, we like to do this segment called Why'd You Buy That? It's the name of the pod. This is where we break out our weekly trackers. By the way, if you're new to the pod, go to weeklybudgeting.com and you could download our app weekly and keep track of your purchases, keep your weekly spend underneath your safe to spend. It's uh, easy to set up, easy to use, and a lot of fun. So go try that. So we break out, open our apps, and look at our recent purchases. And find something that we bought and we describe what it is and why we bought that. So, um, Jess, would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. So mine is $11 to the MTA for a subway, two tickets round trip. This past weekend, Adam and I went up to Central Park to kind of see all the fall foliage, just take a walk around. But, you know, we haven't been riding the subway very often this year. Usually Because of coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, usually we kind of keep a card Again, before coronavirus times, I walked to work. Um, Now I've been working from home and Adam actually drives to work because he works in New Jersey. So he has a sort of like reverse commute. So we're not morning subway people or commuting subway people anyway, but we usually keep a card just with some money on there. So on the weekends we can, you know, pop on the train or grab the bus somewhere, get uptown or something if we want, but that hasn't really been the case in a long time. So we, you know, we've been kind of walking around our neighborhood or just staying a little bit closer to home these days, but we took the subway up to Central Park. The subways are like very clean right now because they're, you know, doing all the sanitizing and things. So it's actually an improvement from what it ever was. You know, the floors are like sparkling, but well worth the $11, even though the price keeps getting jacked up on those subway rides. And I think it's set to increase again, but got us up there and back. So was Central Park beautiful? Beautiful. Yeah. We're probably still like a week away here from peak foliage or whatever they say. Um, But it's, it's really nice this time of year. It's that kind of sweet spot when like People are gearing up for the holidays. So like they're setting up the ice rink in Central Park and the leaves have started to change, but you still don't need to be too bundled up. So we walked for like hours, you know, just just all around. But it's it's really lovely here this time of year. So that was, it was fun. Nice. Dan. I'm drawing a blank. I just got boring purchases right now. There's nothing oh. exciting going no on. Cereal or anything? Oh, plenty of cereal. I mean, <laughs> yesterday I bought... $18 worth of rice checks, <laughs> six boxes. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, what were you? Were you making something with the rice checks? <laughs> no, it's just, just having, them, having them on hand, you know? Well, the truth is... <laughs> was it coming cereal, in a bundle of six? Yeah. Is <laughs> it on sale? Tell us more. This is nope. good. This is nope. just my regular shopping spree. So we... I don't know what it is, but... Since maybe it's the podcast, since I started the podcast, my cereal consumption has greatly decreased. And I am finding the a lot of the sweet cereals I was eating before are starting to turn nasty in my mouth. <laughs> it's like, how did I used to love this? Like, especially my main favorite cereal, Cocoa Dino Bites. What? I've had that like, a couple times in the past two months. And both times it's like, this is disgusting. Like, what is this? So I'm sorry to report that, you know, that's going down. But I do still eat rice checks, which is just kind of like, 
there's kind of nothing to it, really. It's it's basically as processed and down to nothing as you can get. But I eat them, and I still like the the cold milk with like the crunchy cereal kind of you know oral experience. But as far as like eating sweet sugary cereals, I'm out. So I guess that's my why you buy that. Whoa! <laughs> First of all, that's huge news. It is. It's actually a sad day because I was looking forward to years and years of like cereal jokes, (laughs) cereal jokes. But also, you know, we could enjoy a bowl of cereal together if we ever see each other face to face again. (laughs) We could still do that. Just got to cocoa dino bites. Like, never heard of this. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. And it looks like it comes in bags. It does come in bags, (laughs) not a box. Not a box. I want to hear all about cocoa dino bites. Where does it, how do you get it? I have, well, yeah, I mean, cocoa dino bites. So (laughs) there's different kind of like cocoa crispy style of cold cereal, right? There's cocoa crispies. Mm -hmm. um, There's cocoa pebbles, which is different than the, I haven't been thinking about cereal. I'm blanking on the name now. Cocoa puffs, which is like the the circular that's more like a kicks shape, Mm -hmm. but cocoa, right? And then there's the Cocoa Dino Bites, which is, I don't know, it off name brand, comes in a bag, you buy it in bulk. And and that has been my favorite for a long time. Is it more delicious than Cocoa Krispies? Yeah, like Cocoa Krispies is good too. It's just, it is just a different experience, right? Like Cocoa Krispies, the shape of the cereal <laughs> is more of like a puff. Cocoa Dino Bites is more like a flake. And so there's a difference there in the texture, but then also... The Cocoa Krispies is more like Rice Krispies with like a coating of chocolate that just like comes off into your milk. And then it's kind of like eating Rice Krispies with chocolate milk. Whereas Cocoa Krispies is more like baked into the crispy itself. (laughs) I've thought about cereal a lot in my life. (laughs) And where do you pick up Cocoa Dino Bites? I think you can get them anywhere. Walmart, Target. Just whatever grocery store. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe it's there. Walmart. Definitely. You know, yeah. I mean, well, we talked about the Walmart cereal aisle before mm-hmm. on the pod. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty, Epic. it's pretty mind blowing what kind of things are in there. Yeah. If you, if you haven't been recently, you want to check it out. Uh huh. So you're like, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really feeling the Cocoa Dino bites anymore. I want to start getting rice checks. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And how long will and, these boxes last you? Like, is this yeah. a one week supply? I need to get six of them. I need to get six of them. Well, it's just the type of thing that's like the shelf life is plenty long to eat six boxes. And it's just easier to just buy, you know, buy them. You got them and it's there. But to answer your question, I really have reduced my cereal intake quite a bit. So I probably only eat like maybe four bowls a week or something. So other people may eat the cereal as well, but I would last six, six boxes will probably last us maybe six or eight weeks, I would think. But you pick them out individually, like one box. Let's go for two. Yeah. come up In a pack of six, you didn't do that. You're like I'm getting no, six boxes. Six individual boxes. And the price was $2.99 each, which I don't know if it's different than it was the last time. But it felt higher. Oh, it felt, felt higher. higher, actually. Oh, okay. It's not like a huge. It's not like a jumbo box. It's just like kind of a regular, average cereal box. And it's like I don't know. But it's also maybe you were thinking like the price might go up again. Let me stock up 
Lock oh, in. No, I always get six. <laughs> Lock there in. There's no difference in my behavior. <laughs> six every time. It is. But Do you buy the, it? <laughs> it's not actually rice checks. I should. It's it's more like oh. whatever the off brand is, rice squares or something like that, right? So uh, rice checks is definitely more than two ninety nine. It's three ninety nine at the store. Mm. So I did not get the rice checks. I never do. But it is, I don't know. There's something about like just your palate. I'm guessing you guys have experienced this too with other types of food where you're just like into a certain type of food for a while. And then one day it's just like, I'm done. It's it's like Forrest Gump when yeah. he's running and running. And then one day he's like, nope, this is it. Like <laughs> end of the road. Yeah, that's happened well, to me. Your taste buds change, right? They say every so many mm-hmm. years too. This yeah, is like a sudden I, taste bud change. It's like, <laughs> boom. Finally, my childhood <laughs> sugary cereal taste buds burned out after my one, my hundred thousandth bowl of cereal. It's just like, okay, enough. Get, eat something else. One other question. Do, do you buy other staples in packs of six? Like I'm going to stock up on. That's mostly the only thing that I buy. <laughs> Anna, Anna buys our groceries for the most part, and we buy a fair amount of bread, at least recently. <laughs> okay. But when I'm going to the store, it's like cereal and I'm out of there. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Heading home. Uh, how is my, why'd you buy that taking the longest? I didn't I even know. have one at the beginning. You, you think it wasn't going to be interesting, but... <laughs> a gold mine (laughs) (laughs) okay drew your turn what did you buy it's halloween season right now when we're recording this when we release it halloween will be over but what would you pay for five pumpkins because i get a pumpkin for each kid and then i do one for me and then tracy does her own so we each get a pumpkin we each carve it it's one of our halloween traditions just like average pumpkins yeah just uh, well i got an extra large and then there were two mediums and then two larges so i think that was the basic breakdown Mm -hmm. and we went to the local it wasn't really a pumpkin patch but the boy scouts were selling pumpkins so they had some on display we bought them from there as opposed to kroger or uh, which is a grocery store harris teeter or something like that so we're gonna guess sure i would think between 15 and 20 dollars each or for all five? No, for all five. You pay twenty dollars for all five. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I bought pumpkins at the farmers market here, so I'm sure they were like way inflated because they brought them <laughs> into the city for us. Jess so I'm has like, this, oh, I would pay a lot more. Jess has this embarrassed look on her face as she's telling that. No, uh, we want to know what the <laughs> real number you had in your mind was. <laughs> I was gonna say forty five dollars. You guys are both under, man. $55 for those. I look at you. You're shocked. I mean, that was my top line. 45? 55. 55. So, Dan, you're, so you think. Were they really big? Oh, <laughs> yeah, they were big. They were big. But still, like, like, do you think you're going to get a big pumpkin for five bucks? Like, well, I think you could get a medium for under $5. Where? I would where? think. Not in this town. Well, I don't know. We didn't actually buy pumpkins directly this year. We got them as part of a pass to uh like a pumpkin patch thing or like a farm thing we went to and it was like 10 it was like 10 dollars worth of credits and we got i can't remember how many pounds of pumpkin it was like 20 pounds or something but we got like six pumpkins or something yeah that's so that's good. i don't know that's 55 dollars for five pumpkins that seems pretty high that seems pretty high okay 
Yes, that's what we did. You know, there's a funny moment there where, you know, they're looking. It's not an exact science when you're pricing these pumpkins. You know, they have like small, medium, large. Here's some examples. And then, you know, pumpkins don't grow in those sizes. Like, I'll stop (laughs) at the small size and stop growing. You know, it's like they're in between and some of them are like blemished. And so it's a bit of a like uh, they're eyeballing it when they're getting ready to charge you for them, you know. And so it's like, you can negotiate, you know, it's like, oh, you know, no, that, that one's really not medium, you know, it's small or whatever. But then you're negotiating with a Boy Scout. Like, why would you ever <laughs> like, yeah, you don't deserve this extra money for your good cause. I want my money. <laughs> yeah. So usually go with whatever they charge you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be negotiating. But... Yeah. You're like, I mean, these are pumpkins. Ten dollars. That's as high $10. as I'm going. Two dollars a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of felt like I was going to be low, but then I didn't want to overshoot it. I I don't know why. I, I thought it'd be better to be low. <laughs> okay, wow. cool. Well, let's uh, cost of holidays. What's that? The cost of holidays. Cost of ho- yeah. What What did we well, find? Ninety two dollars. Yeah, wasn't it ninety two dollars? I mean, fifty five. That's high for pumpkins. You know, <laughs> I need to, I need to move the- to the country. <laughs> that's right they just, just the big city. You just pick them up <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i feel i feel like if you go to the grocery store and they're selling them because they sell them at the local grocery store they'll be seven eight nine bucks right yeah, and then I you pay so. you pay a pumpkin patch premium for them to be on a picnic table and outside that that jacks mm-hmm. it up <laughs> yeah yeah but you're gonna that's carve true. those right yeah yeah we carved them yeah so when you think about 55 dollars for like family entertainment and an activity together then to me the, mm-hmm. that cost starts to you know kind of balance out yeah, yeah that's sure. the value that's that's right. the true that's the true value the thing you're buying all right let's wrap it up that's it for why'd you buy that we need a we need a song or some sound to send us off we do we definitely knew mm-hmm. why'd you buy not, that not, not, i don't know <laughs> keep workshopping <laughs> it guys <laughs> <laughs> Since I've had that, and she's my type of girl, and everybody.